Welcome to the Central Church of Christ podcast. We are located at 3501 Cheviot Avenue, Cincinnati, Ohio, 45211. It is our mission to worship God and follow Jesus as we love and serve in His name through the power of the Holy Spirit. Come see us sometime at 1030 on a Sunday morning or each Wednesday as we feed the community at 530 p.m. We hope the following message inspires you in some way. Um, so uh, when it comes to um, shopping in the 21st century, uh, the checkout process almost always ends, I should say begins, with the same question. Whether it comes to buying coffee, uh, buying movie tickets, uh, buying a sub, and yes, even dog food, um, the question is, is, are you a rewards member? Um, and uh, much like uh, the allure of joining a country club or a local YMCA, uh, many are drawn to reward memberships with their promise of uh, exclusive discounts and perks. Um, but as I was preparing for this sermon, I, was, I, just, I couldn't escape this thought of, um, I wish that was true of church membership. Uh, in 2023, that people had that same draw to being part of a church as they do their Starbucks rewards. And why does it seem like church membership is declining and diminishing in recent years? Uh, Why is it that more people are prone to be a Starbucks rewards member than they are a church member? Uh, And that's really been uh, shaping this um, message this morning, that thought of why is that. Um, And and also the question of, you know, why should church membership matter to us? Isn't Christian just being enough? Isn't it enough just to be Christian in and of itself? Uh, What additional value uh, is there in being the member of a body of a church? Uh, What does that offer to us? What value is that in us? Well, this, the, mor- the, the, uh, the morning message of Acts 6 responds to that question by proclaiming that there is extraordinary value in church membership. And next week, we'll talk about the value of church leadership as well. So this is kind of a two-part uh, series here uh, that we'll be doing over the next two weeks over Acts 6. But today, we want to talk about the value, um, the extraordinary value that there is in being part of a body of faith. Um, and its important role in sustaining us uh, through the peaks and valleys of discipleship. Um, Now, uh, church membership, again, faces a a considerable challenge in today's culture, uh, where abandoning commitment is somehow turned into a a virtue of uh, self. Um, This this high esteem that uh, our culture has for autonomy, for independence, uh, church membership runs to a, into a big barrier uh, there. Um, with phrases like, I've got to be true to myself, um, narcissists um, actively avoid uh, commitments to their friends, their families, um, their kids, um, so as not to be restrained uh, from pursuing new and exciting possibilities. Or that's what they tell themselves. Um, and, but... When one experiences church membership, as Christ intended, uh, I think he or she quickly realizes that it's precisely healthy relationships and commitments 
that help, help us to grow and not to shrink. So again, I think church membership as Christ has intended it actually does the opposite of what narcissists think. This idea that I'm going to have to be, that I'll be less or I'll be weaker or I'll be, uh, is, is false. Uh, the truth is that being in relationships, uh, holding to commitments actually makes us grow. We become stronger because of it. Um, and we see that in Acts 6. Um, and also, uh, again, if we look at the early believers, not just in Acts 6, but in all of the, all of the uh, churches, I think we see, um, especially in 1 Corinthians, that this idea of self-sufficient, isolated Christianity was inconceivable to them. This idea that you could do faith on your own was not in their, in their, in their mindset. Um, uh, who saw the individual believer and the community as intertwined. They were, they were connected. They were bonded together. And that with its opportunities for relationships and commitments, um, that uh, church membership promised a life more enriching than a life left to its own devices. Um, and, um, and here in Acts 6, with them voicing concerns for the widow, I think, the widows, I should say, uh, they did not see themselves as, as Lone Ranger Christians, uh, clearly. Uh, but instead, saw them as unique uh, pieces of a larger whole. Um, so, and in the first uh, um, six chapters of um, Acts, uh, we actually see Peter uh, as a great example of this. Um, Peter's true individual character emerges uh, not because he took the liberty uh, to be his own person, but because he chose to attach himself to the Messiah and his community. Uh, that's where Peter's true character comes out of, not because he went his own way, but because he joined up with Jesus and the church. Um, and without Jesus, I mean, it's quite possible that Peter would have been a great fisherman, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, but without Jesus, Peter would have never have realized what a coward he had been and also what a courageous man he would become. And that's what church does, membership does. It holds up the mirror so that we can see ourselves as what we were, what we are, and what we can be. And we see that with Peter. He's a great example of that. Um, and also, I think, uh, Acts 6 shows us that uh, the church there understood that discipleship uh, involves not only a goal, uh, to reach for, um, but the ability to see it through, to keep going. Um, and in a word, I think Acts 6 shows us that discipleship um, requires fortitude, or some people say grit. Um, by its definition, fortitude implies um, strength of mind that enables a person to encounter danger or bear pain, or adversity with courage. And when you're on the path of discipleship for any amount of time, you're going to need fortitude to press on, to keep going uh, towards that goal. But how do we know if we have fortitude? How do, how do I know if I have it inside of me? Uh, how do I get it if I don't? Um, well, again, I think all we need to do is look to the widows of Acts 6 uh, to see a powerful example of fortitude. Um, because yes, um, 
the apostles and the deacons uh, in Acts 6 were courageous in their, own, in their own way. There's no doubt about it. The persecution, the arrests that we've been reading about. Um, but widows, especially in that time, um, I think they demonstrate um, an example of encountering dangers, pains, and adversity in ways that their male counterparts could never fully appreciate, you know, with them being uh, women, um, elderly women, with no standing, really. Um, So to me, the widows in Acts 6 are a powerful example of fortitude. And the traits of fortitude, uh, because there are certain traits that go to building fortitude. I want to talk about those uh, here this morning. Um, And and also, back to the widows, um, I also don't think that they wanted to be seen as just widows. They didn't want that to be the the whole of of who they were. Uh, They wanted to be seen as members of a body of faith. And that's why they're calling out when they're being overlooked, um, that they want to be seen as a part of the body not just seen as uh, widows. And uh, so one of the first traits of um, fortitude um, is this uh, willingness to change uh, that we see. Um, And um, similar to the uh, voyage of marriage, um, uh, the expedition of church membership produces fortitude by giving us chances um, to um, be changed, um, to be converted, or to be moved. Um, um, spouses and believers that are unwilling to be changed, converted, or moved, um, they're going to they're experience some difficulty if they're not willing to do that. Um, and again, this is just through my observations, of course. Uh, not being married, I don't speak from experience, I just speak from observations. Uh, so, uh, but again... Um, if we're not willing to be changed, to be converted, or to be moved, um, if we dig in, if we draw lines in the sand, it's going to be really hard to walk that path of discipleship, to walk that journey of marriage, uh, for sure. Um, because the journey of marriage, the journey of discipleship, uh, does not lend itself to being content with the status quo, the same old, same old. Um, and... Um, Again, those of us who, as believers, if we're pressing on towards the goal uh, to which God, Christ has called us, uh, we need to be willing to be surprised, and we need to be willing to be changed. Um, because change, uh, in healthy expressions, is a sign of growth. Uh, we, we, we grow through change. Uh, second, uh, a second trait of fortitude is uh, patience. And if anybody has siblings, uh, you know how hard it is to coexist with a sibling. Um, it takes patience to coexist with a sibling uh, as you share the same space. Uh, maybe even the same room. Uh, it is not easy. Uh, so it takes patience to do that. Um, and for believers, uh, we need patience walking the path together, especially in times where we're not sure where that path's leading us. Uh, there are times on our walk of faith where it's a, there's a cloud, there's a fog, we're not sure which way to go. And we can, you know, get irritable, we can get, uh, lose, our, lose our temper. Uh, but patience, again, helps us. It makes us uh, equipped to do that together, um, this idea of walking this path together. So, 
Um, we have the willingness to change, uh, the need to be patient uh, builds fortitude. Um, third, uh, and again, for those who are on the odyssey of being a parent, you know how you get multiple chances a day to practice uh, giving forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. So, and again, we are made stronger uh, by, this, by these opportunities to be forgiving and uh, to be forgiven ourselves. Um, and we summon the fortitude to keep going because uh, we believe that a future uh, with God, with our kids, and with each other is never shut. It's always open. Um, so, um, and that's what forgiveness does. It keeps the door open um, to that relationship. And that's what gives us the strength to keep going, to not give up on our kids, to give up on each other, is because we forgive each other. Um, and um, in 1999, um, uh, the Archbishop Desmond Tutu uh, wrote a book called uh, No Future Without Forgiveness. Um, and um, in the book, uh, Tutu describes um, forgiveness as a method uh, that believers employ to proclaim their faith in the future of the relationship. Um, and uh, declare their belief in the capacity of wrongdoers to make different choices. And moreover, he says this, uh, true reconciliation is not cheap. It, oh, sorry, let me go back to that. It costs God um, the death of his only begotten son. Uh, forgiving and being reconciled are not about pretending that things are other than they are. It is not patting one another on the back or turning a blind eye to the wrong. True reconciliation exposes the awfulness, the abuse, the pain, the degradation, the truth. It could even sometimes make things worse. Uh, it is a risk worth undertaking. Uh, it is worthwhile because in the end, dealing with the real situation uh, helps to bring about real healing. So uh, forgiveness in particular is a critical piece of fortitude to keep going Again, with this belief that uh, we, we never shut the door on each other, we never um, shut the door on God, uh, for sure. And he never does the same for us. Um, and then, um, all of us, I think, um, know what it's like to be a son or a daughter uh, to our parents. Um, and in that relationship, in the parent-child relationship, again, there are, multi, there are thousands of opportunities a week where we practice trust with each other. And that's another critical piece of fortitude is learning to trust one another. Because children and believers alike, we persevere uh, in the trial uh, by learning to trust uh, parents, by trusting God, by trusting each other. That's how we persevere. That's how we keep going down the path of discipleship is through trust. Um, and I was thinking, when I was thinking about, you know, all of this um, talk of um, husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, uh, parents and kids, I was, I was asking myself, um, is um, church membership uh, the best way, il illustration for us of a, of a community, of a body of faith? Um, is, it, is it the best depiction when we say, um, have you thought about being a member 
Is, is that the best way to do that? And I was thinking that um, because uh, we learn fortitude through our relationships, I was thinking that fellow believers in Christ maybe uh, ought to see their association not in terms of membership, uh, but in terms of family. I think that's a better way to present ourselves uh, to each other and to our community. Not so much about church membership, but about you want to be a part of a church family. Um, and um, just like biological families who share DNA and uh, physical traits, um, a church family represents uh, persons of shared passions and commitments in the same way. Um, in a specific location, again, walking together uh, as Christ's disciples. And moreover, a church family um, shares um, a story, they share a savior, they share a vision, and they share a mandate. And when it comes to our story, all of us have a story of what life was like before Christ and what life was like after Christ. Our stories are unique to us, just like our fingerprints, but there are similarities, uh, I would think, in our stories that we share. Uh, for myself, um, the Chris before meeting Jesus was very selfish. He was uh, angry. He was entitled um, before, before Jesus. But after Jesus, uh, he uh, had a deep appreciation for his blessings and all that he had been given. Um, I remember so many times as a teenager, I would say to my parents, uh, embarrassingly, you never do anything for me. <laughs> you never, because they would say no to one thing, one time. And the truth was, it was the complete opposite. They did everything uh, for me. So again, even though our stories are unique, I think they, they're similar when we think about who we were before and after Christ. Um, when it comes to sharing a Savior, I think uh, Romans and, again, 1 Corinthians talk about this um, as well, and points out that not only do all of us have the same problem, sin, we all have that, we share that problem, we have access to the same remedy, and it's Jesus Christ. Um, and I think um, both of those uh, speak to that. Um, and again, in 1 Corinthians, it reminds us that a church family does not compete for, but shares in salvation by Jesus. Uh, in 1 Corinthians, when they're talking about who follows Paul or Cephas or Apollos, uh, Paul is like, no, Christ is not divided. Uh, Christ is not cut up into these... No, we have access to the same Savior. Uh, it's not a competition for salvation. <laughs> uh, as much as life wants to believe that there has to be a winner and a loser... Uh, we all have access to that. Um, and something that, um, when it comes to vision, uh, this is something that the leadership team has been trying to, to go over and over and over again, uh, that we share this same vision uh, for this community. And those who attach themselves to Central attach themselves to walking, al to walking alongside one another uh, on the path to, to knowing Christ. Those who affiliate themselves with Central affiliate themselves with cultivating a transformative worship experience and grow together through intentional discipleship. Those who associate themselves with Central associate themselves uh, with the work of strengthening our presence in the neighborhood as a safe place, committed uh, to loving and serving. And I, I highlighted that word safe 
just because of how important it is. And we'll get back to that at the end of today's message. Um, and if we're thinking about future themes for a year, I would nominate safety. Uh, I think we could do a lot on that in a year, uh, given the world in which we live. Um, and then the mandate is our mission. Um, and um, our mandate at Central is crystal clear. There's no ambiguity uh, with our mandate here at Central and the mandate that we share together. The Central family shares a mission to worship God, follow Jesus, as we love and serve in his name through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, the Central family shares in God's overarching mission to establish the kingdom in its fullness. Uh, so we share that together. But what does it mean to live as family? What does that mean? Uh, that can maybe be a little uh, abstract. Well, first, um, I think uh, being a part of a family means uh, having the privilege of having a seat at the table. Um, no reservations are required. There's no, wait, there's no wait time. You have a seat waiting for you at all times. So I think that's what it means to be a family, to sit down together and to know that you have a seat at any time, at any place, you have a seat with the family. Second, I think there's a responsibility of meeting the needs of others at the expense of my wants. Um, I think that's another piece of living in family, is that whatever the need is, we meet that, even if it means I have to give up something I want. And then third, um, and then most importantly, there's a commitment to embracing interdependence over independence. Um, but again, this is not easy for our culture. Um, I mean, we have a federal holiday that celebrates independence. Um, there are not many holidays that celebrate interdependence, reliance. Um, there's, there's, not, there's not much of that in our culture. So, but in a family, uh, I commit to being reliant and dependent on you rather than myself. So that's another piece about being part of a family. Of course, uh, we live in a world um, where many have the misfortune of living with designations other than family, sadly. Some are classified as addicts, while others get branded as illegals in this world. Some shoulder the label of being too fat, while others get tagged as too skinny. Um, some get assigned the rank of a rival, while other, others find themselves relegated to the role of an enemy. So, I wish everybody could be seen as family, but that's just not how it is in our world. Uh, people bear other labels. Um, and with these ruthless designations put on people, uh, the principalities and powers of this world would justify their harsh treatment that would say something to the effect of, you don't belong here. Uh, you are not invited. You are not welcome here. A church family, however, uh, must never endorse or employ uh, such cruel designations or treatment. Instead, a church family looks at one another through the, through the lenses of Romans 8. Um, that describes how God views us. And in verse 14, uh, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And consequently, we are treated quite differently 
uh, in verses 15 and 16 as it says, the spirit you received uh, does not make you slaves uh, so that you would live in fear again. Uh, the spirit you received brought your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies that we are God's children. And I was, very, I was really struck by this uh, contrast between slavery and family, um, uh, which I think, I think Roman 8, Romans 8 speaks to a fundamental truth of the human experience. Because whether you're in the world or whether you're in Christ, how we are perceived determines how we are treated. Um, and in my experience, uh, most kids are in disbelief. Um, the first time they hear a history lesson about slavery. It's really hard for kids to grasp the idea of people in chains and in bondage. Uh, they ask questions like, why would they do that? Um, why did it last so long? It's really hard for kids to get their minds around how slavery happens. Um, the answer, of course, uh, which is by no means an excuse or an unjustification at all, is that it comes back to that reality of how we are perceived is how we are treated. Um, because um, if you see people as property, uh, then buying and selling people becomes as easy as, as buying or selling a house. When you see people as animals, it's as easy to um, whip or to kill people as it is to... Um, whip a mule, or put down a, uh, a broken-down plow horse. Uh, but, uh, in the redemption um, of uh, Christ, um, God does not see us as property or animals. And that's a key thing for us to remember, is that because through Christ, God no longer sees us as slaves. God does not see us as property or animals. And nor does he treat us like property, nor does he treat us like animals. Uh, instead, Christ liberates us from the harsh uh, labels and designations of this world. Um, so uh, now, not only does God and Christ welcome us, not only does he invite us, uh, but again, he um, adopts us, uh, which I love. And this notion that, that God adopts us, I think, is a very attractive offer, right? I mean, to me, that's very appealing. This idea that um, I can be brought into a family is very appealing and attractive, I would think. And yet, as we talked about at the beginning, it doesn't seem to be the case. It's, there seems to be a decline um, in church membership and attendance. Um, and I, I keep asking myself, why is that? Why is... There's, in the 21st century, why is there this decline um, in church membership? And I, the, I was, first I was asking, is it a lack of need? Are people somehow less depressed now? Are people somehow um, less uh, poor? I don't think so. I think you can make a case that people are more depressed in the 21st century. There's more poverty in the 21st century. Um, then I was asking, well, is it a lack of interest? Are people less lonely today? Are people 
uh, less worried today? I, I don't think so. I think anxiety and loneliness are at all-time highs. So I think there is a need for family. There is an interest in family. Um, but then I was brought back to Romans 8 again. And the, the word fear stuck out to me. And I asked myself, is it possible that the decline in church membership, the decline in church attendance, is maybe because there's an abundance of fear about church? Um, are people afraid of church? Could that be it? Um, and uh, for those of us who have been going to church for 30 years or more, I think the idea of church being scary to somebody may sound ridiculous. Um, but again, put yourself in the shoes of somebody uh, who's never walked through the door, who knows nothing about church, whose only perception of church are the very real, uh, very embarrassing, and sometimes very disturbing stories in the news. If that was your only picture of church, then I think maybe we can understand why people might be hesitant to join a family or to join a body. Um, and an encouragement to us then, I think, um, is that um, if we want to grow our family here at Central, then maybe uh, we can take time to examine our expectations um, that could possibly make somebody um, fearful to share their weaknesses, um, to do a healthy um, inventory of our expectations. Is there anything, in the way, anything that we say or do that would make somebody fearful of seeming imperfect, of seeming like they don't have it all together. Uh, again, um, searching our assumptions uh, that would cause somebody to be afraid to share their struggles. So I think that would be good for us to think about that and how we act and how we say and how we interact with those around us. Um, so as we close this morning, um, I hope we can think on uh, the um, traits of uh, fortitude uh, that we talked about um, that can help us to feel secure uh, in knowing uh, that we have each other uh, to walk the path of discipleship together. Um, that we are willing to change, to be patient, to be forgiving, to be trusting in one another. I pray that helps us feel a little bit more secure and a little less afraid. Um, May our common story, our common Savior, our common vision, um, our common mission help us to feel uh, more protected uh, when we share our weaknesses and when we share our struggles. Um, and whether you are a widow, whether you are an elder, whether you are a deacon, whether you are a spouse, whether you are a single parent, or just plain single. Uh, it's my hope and prayer that the fact that none of us are slaves would help us all to feel safe in realizing that we have each other to call family. So, if you come here this week in search of a family, uh, let's talk about that. Uh, if you come this week in need um, of fortitude to keep going, Let's talk about that. Uh, Joel's going to be on this side. I'll be on this side. Um, but that's why we're here. Um, uh, 
we're not here for reward points or for uh, perks. We're here for each other. And to me, um, that's what about that's what family's all about. So, again, let's sing this song together. And again, if you have any need, uh, bring it to the family at this time. Brooklyn.